0: Welcome to the show. You're listening to the Hope Radio Podcast. Stories, interviews, and profiles of courage, triumph, and perseverance. My name, my name is Sean Davis, and I happen to be your humble host. And joining me as always, my wife with the mostest. Her name is? Just Jen. Just Jen. And so this is actually segment number two. This is our second portion of our interview from yesterday with Casey Eberhardt. And so we're going to just jump right into the conversation and pick up where we left off. So here we go.
1: I worked in the movie business. I ended up using the same kind of networking, connectivity, relationship building that I learned my whole life to be fortunate enough to produced 22 feature films, including Oscar-winning Being John Malkovich, right? And at the time we were doing that, I also owned an equipment rental company, uh, Film and Television World, just because I had so many friends in that space. Well, we ended up selling that business, and we did the same thing. We used we used birthday cards and thank you cards to build that business. We did everything. We made our customers feel amazing. So we sent them gifts all the time. We didn't do marketing once I figured out that you could send a birthday card to a customer and that birthday card will love you for life. And especially when the customers are freelance, so they're moving all over and you say to them, Hey, um, we love to send birthday cards. When's your birthday and where should we send the card? And they give you their home address. I'm like, Oh my gosh, so I've just built a list of 5,000 yeah. home addresses of film producers and location managers. Like when wow. I mean, we literally sold that business for a million dollars and half of it was for the database because those relationships were that valuable. I mean, it's a room full of traffic cones and wardrobe racks and, you know, coffee can spray painted red for cigarette butts. Um, <laughs> and then there's a database of connections and that's really the value. So we put that money in the bank and my business partner and I were like, okay, we are going on a shopping spree. We got a million dollars in the bank. We were way too young to have a million dollars.
0: How old were you we were at this way time? Way
1: reckless. I think I was 30. Wow. I think I was that's 30, crazy. 32, somewhere in there. And so we decided that we were going to go buy another business. But we didn't ask for advice. We didn't ask for any help. We thought we knew it all because, you know, we just put a million dollars in the bank. <laughs> and, and, and and this is why I now, like, when I speak all, whenever I speak all over the world, one of the things I say is, like, look, you've got to get around people that are way smarter than you, business coaches, advisors. Public companies had board of advisors. Why do you not have a board of advisors? I don't care what business you're in. I don't care how small it is. Having some people that are smarter than you that you can bounce ideas off of is critical in today's marketplace. I think.
0: Yeah. I agree. My own hundred percent. Right? Yeah. No, I agree.
1: So that was really what we were lacking. So we went and we paper screened fifteen hundred places. We went and looked at we looked at like a couch upholstery company. We looked at a hair salon, and we settled on a clothing manufacturing business. Now you might not know what a clothing manufacturing business is, so let me tell you what it is. <laughs> It is a sweatshop. (laughs) That is essentially what it is. Now, I was in marketing, so we called it a perspiration salon. (laughs) But nonetheless, (laughs) nonetheless, we had 135 135 employees. We were making 4,000 pair of women's pants a day. We were selling them to every place from Walmart to QVC. (laughs) It was a horrible, horrible business on every single level. Like, There's a whole thing where it's like, Rags to riches, like that was what we, that's what we were going to do. We were going to go buy a crappy manufacturing business and we were going to just make this thing like, you know, Christian Dior manufacturing, right? (laughs) Instead, we wrote, we rewrote the book and it was from riches to (laughs) rags. And, um, (laughs) you know, we, we lost a million dollars. It took us about a year to burn through it. And at one point I just remember going, I have nothing, I have nothing. I'm about to lose my house. I'm about to lose my car. I have no I have no friends because I've spent the last year trying to make a clothing manufacturing business work with two cultures that hated me because I'm white. Our, we had half our staff was Armenian and half of them were Hispanic. Those two cultures hated each other. The only thing they hated worse than each other is a couple of white dudes running in thinking they're going to be their boss. It was just, it was a disaster.
2: Oh,
1: a and uh, I sat, it was a nightmare. And I sat in my house I, I closed all the blinds and I just sat here and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had borrowed, we had, we were probably in debt half a million dollars from investors. And these were all family friends of ours. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to call. Like, I don't even know what to do. So I called my mom and my mom is the furthest thing from an entrepreneur that you can find. Like, She has an amazing skill set, but she is not an entrepreneur. And so I'm trying to tell her and I'm bawling my eyes out and I'm like, I'm going to lose my house. I can't afford food. I've got no money. You know, it is a disaster. And my mom said something that, that in her innocence, it was brilliant, but it's probably not something that I would take with the same, I wouldn't take it the same today. And she said, you know, case it's just money. And I was like, okay, I don't know what that means, but I'm going to run with it. (laughs) For for
0: a young man that had spent most of his life sending out dollars to go attract other dollar friends and bringing them back home, you know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's a profound statement.
1: Sean, I have to tell you, it was the moment that my entrepreneurial spirit was broken. And I mean, bro, I had like built 26 houses in Vegas. We had done a bunch of, I, I mean, I've, I've had businesses my whole life, but at this moment, it broke my spirit. Everything I had done crashed.
0: Now, Hold on a sec, because I want to go back. Did you, do you recognize that maybe this whole idea of buying the closing clothing business was like, uh, almost like you felt like you had the Midas touch, like everything that you touched had been up to that point successful. Successful.
1: The the arrogance and the ego and the stupidity Mm. and the just the sheer dumbass (laughs) decision making tree that we tried to i mean sean let me let me tell you how stupid we were making decisions this just give you an idea of why you don't give a million dollars to a 30 year old dumb shit (laughs) we decided one of the reasons we would move that business further up the line of looking at is because in our equipment business we were in a warehouse and in the summer in los angeles it would get really hot and we didn't have our own air-conditioned office so the, one of the reasons that we wanted to buy the clothing manufacturing business where we knew nothing about it was so that we could have an office with air conditioning. I don't know. Ask me if we looked at the P&L or the balance statement or, or if we did any. Like we, we were like, oh. Huge office. Oh, I love the window. Oh, this is gorgeous. Oh, the (laughs) air conditioner works awesome here. Like, let's let's invest a million dollars in something we know nothing about so that we can sit here and watch our money fly out the window. Like, it was just, we were stupid.
0: We were stupid. At the bottom, I mean, you're having this conversation with your mom. She says it's only money. Like, you feel devastated because it's the first time that you you really had been broken in that way. Like, the loss was just... And
1: I mean... It was an ego crash. It was a thinking I had the Midas touch and I didn't. It was reconciling that I now live in Los Angeles, which is not a cheap place to live.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Reconciling that I now had to call investors that were family friends of ours with my tail between my legs and say, I've lost all your money. It was, I couldn't go to the movies. I couldn't hang out with my friends and what few I had left because I didn't have any money doing it. It was, it was awful. And I sat here and I just thought, okay, I have to come up with some kind of game plan because the every day I wait on calling these investors this is going to be a problem because it's just word's going to get out. I come so I literally called every investor, and this is this is how my conversation went. Jen and Sean, I cannot tell you how much I appreciate you loaning us a hundred grand to get this. Clothing manufacturing business. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. So here's, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. The bad news is I'm just going to rip the band-aid off. I've lost your money. You're, there's 0% chance you're going to ever get it back. The good news is that on my next venture, when I need to borrow money, I'm going to put you at the top of the list to call first. <laughs>
0: Uh, Being a former financial advisor, I will tell you that the chutzpah, the balls, the, hey, you've invested some money with me in the market. And, um, you know, here's the problem. I'll rip the bandaid off. Here's bad news I got to share with you. I've lost it all. But the good news is, is when whatever money you got left over, whatever money you can corral, whatever money that you can uh, find between now and the next (laughs) time I call you, the good news is that the next time I call you that, you know, you'll be on the front of the list of the people I call when I need to raise more cash for (laughs) investing. (laughs)
1: Yep. That's exactly what it is.
0: Oh my gosh. And
1: here's, and here is the only reason that they all didn't laugh the same way that you guys did when I just told (laughs) that story was because prior to that, I had borrowed money for them from them in the equipment rental business. And I had made them way more money than they ever thought.
0: So you had successes prior to this.
1: Absolutely. And and this comes back to, I'm always looking to add more value. So, you know, yes, there were a couple that were pissed. Obviously you're losing a hundred grand at a pop of somebody's money. But I also, I think I had also had enough relationship with them that they understood that my drive to make them whole and my drive to add more value than they ever thought they could receive was a bigger driver than the hundred thousand dollars that they just gave me.
0: Yeah, like they, they, they connected with you yeah. and your heart and your mindset yep. and your intellect and and yeah, you're gonna have some successes and you're gonna have mm-hmm. failures. And anybody that lends money in that way at with a venture like that, they have to be prepared to lose it. You know, you, oh you just, well,
1: yeah, look, it was it was risky. No, no question about it. But I but I will say, Sean, that for me that was probably 15 to 18 years ago. It was in 2000, somewhere around there. I got to say, you know, for many years, I couldn't get out of it. I just, I was struggling. I couldn't find the right opportunity. You know, I got involved in a network marketing company because I thought that was a a great thing. Loved it, had a great ride of that. But what I understood about the network marketing side of business was that going back to if I truly believe that connectivity was today's new currency, and I truly believed at my core that the idea of always adding value to people is right there. And I also understood, quite frankly, after that sweatshop ordeal, was that I was never going to allow my entire check to come from one source. And so in my head, I said, just said, okay, well, side hustle number one, I'm going to put a network marketing company. I mean, now I speak and train to network marketing companies all over the world. I'm the number two income earner in our company. We've got an amazing service that is geared for business owners. So for me, it all works in the same that I work with business owners all day long. I'm a business coach and a strategist and a consultant. So I live in business all day long. And as a guy that is an entrepreneur who buys and sells businesses, I'm always looking to move those pieces around the chessboard. And I will just, to finish that thought up, there are a lot of people that will, that will say, oh, you know what? Focus on one thing. Get really good at one thing. Be the champion at that one thing. And, you know, get so good at one thing. And, and my brain does not work like that. <laughs> my brain works. I have to have a bunch of projects happening simultaneously, which is where I work the best. And I realize that most people don't even understand how to play the game checkers. So I have just tried to master the game of chess, of business, and what's hilarious is now I play against guys and gals that barely know checkers just from a metaphorical standpoint. <laughs> They're trying to work on things about pure conversion and all of this. And you know, when Jen and I were talking before the show, you know, when she walks into a house, before you guys start the fixing of the of a house, she walks in and she gets a good read of the lay of the land and partly gut, part intuition, and partly because she's developed a skill set in building a chessboard, that's Skill is the same thing that good entrepreneurs, I think, possess. She can walk in and look at it and go, okay, um, I see what I'm working with.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Now I'm going to go make it so that the customer will give us more money than what they would for a house of this size in this neighborhood with this structure. And at the end, they'll send us a thank you card. And the way they send us a thank you card is with referrals, putting ourselves on wait lists, bringing Mm -hmm. their friends over, all of that stuff is transformational on some level.
0: I understand what you're saying, and, and I totally appreciate that. Like, there was a couple different things that I was going to connect with. Number one, I'm a recovering narcissist, okay? So, like, the reality of it is— <laughs> is is.
1: Then you should be a speaker. Yes, I am. where they all live.
0: I am a recovering narcissist. You know, I came face to face with my narcissism back in 2008, 2009. And uh, ever since then, I've been on a quest to uh, not be a narcissist. So it's an ongoing adventure. My wife occasionally reminds me when when it sneaks up. I say
2: stay humble
0: stay humble, stay humble. So I, I you know, I, I Work get
2: card, stay humble.
0: I get what your Midas touch yeah. and thinking you're invincible and all that other stuff. I like, I, I totally get it. But when I was in financial services, I specialized in a type of investment that was non-traditional. My radio show that I used to do in Sacramento was called Uncommon Investments and in Resources. And I and I showcase stuff traditionally outside of the stock market. So energy royalties, mineral rights, lease programs, you know, real estate deals, you know, all kinds of stuff that wasn't stocks and bonds. And again, my term uncommon investments or alternative investments is, is what I focused on. And so what I used to share to people was, you know, true diversification is having a whole bunch of different stuff that doesn't act and look the same, you know, like diversification isn't when the stock market falls, everything falls with it. You know, it's, it's broader than that. And so I actually commissioned a chair to be made and it had 15 legs and it would sit in my office and I would use it as a visual aid, a visual example of my philosophy. And I said, each one of these legs, is different each one of them is is shaped differently and styled differently etc but these 15 legs form the base of this chair and this chair is extremely sturdy and it's very very strong and you know you could put probably a thousand pounds two thousand pounds on this chair and it's not going to fall over you know yet you take a three-legged stool you know you remove a leg and it's going to fall over pretty quickly and so that visual aid or that analogy was how i would talk about diversification Well, it's funny that you you mentioned multiple streams of income because I said to Jen, you know, two or three years ago, I said, you know, here's my goal. I want to have 15 different streams of income, sources of income that aren't dependent on each other, sources of income that come from different businesses or different ventures that I've done, et cetera. That will make up our quote unquote retirement moving forward. So I totally connect with the multiple streams of income. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: And sometimes you have to be willing. Sometimes you have to be, you know, depending on where your risk factor is. Um, by the way, I would have been like the best client of yours. I can't even tell you. I mean, I was, I was selling na- naked foot options in college. So you're spot on. You're spot on because if people try to focus on one thing, then what happens is if something crashes or something goes haywire, you got yourself a good old fashioned, serious problem. Yeah. I mean, look at where we are right now. Yeah. You know, like I have friends of mine that, that run mastermind programs or coaching programs. And, you know, there's, there's a group of us and we all talk and, you know, people are like panicked because their customers are all leaving their, their coaching programs, They're all like leaving their masterminds. Right. Cause so they don't have any money. They're freaked out. They don't know what to do, whatever. And I said, well, you know, what's interesting. I said, I haven't lost a single person out of our group, not one. So people are like, well, how do you have that big of a group and you're not having anybody to look? And I'm like, because when we teach philosophy, I want to be able to diversify and have our members be adding value to their customers in a variety of different ways so that if something were to go wrong, they're not totally out of date. Like I have a yeah. client down in Houston who is a real estate guru, right? And the reason he's a guru is we architected. He was like, look, I just want to be able to cherry pick the deals. He's a big flip Airbnb fix and flip guy. Right. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, what do you want? He goes, I just want to have access to all the deals before everybody else. Mm-hmm. I said, great. We're creating you to be the guru of that area. So we've got a radio show. We've got him speaking. We've got him kind of being the guy. We created a, a mastermind program for him, the mastermind program. They make money when they sell a house inside the mastermind. They make. We've got a loan mortgage where they get a referral fee out of it. They got credit card. They, we created a construction company for them. So now they hire their own construction company, but the other people in the mastermind in their space, hires their construction company. Now they're making money on the construction, which makes their construction free. Then we've created a marketing place. we created, I mean, like we just went through this list. So if the whole thing goes to hell in a handbasket, they're going to be fine. And that's, and I think that's where a lot of people get seduced into this idea. This is just Casey's opinion, okay? <laughs> Take it just from a guy who thought you do one business and put all your eggs in one basket. But here's what happens. When something happens to that basket, you got a problem. Mm-hmm. So my philosophy is always if I'm gonna make a hundred grand a month, I would rather make ten thousand dollar checks than one one hundred thousand dollar check. Even if the 10000 thousand $10, dollar checks are a little bit more work, as I start to look at the risk reward evaluation, it's just too scary. And to me that's just reckless. I want the fifteen legs on the on the chair. <laughs> And I'm just going to always be looking to that. I mean, look, you guys, you guys have salt and stone, right? At some point as this thing grows and you start flipping more houses and you bring in more customers and you get a a bigger brand name and a bigger name, you're absolutely going to do your own brokerage office. You're going to absolutely want to have relationships with hard money lenders and and investors and and marketing tools and such that you can now start to refer out to people that want to be just like you, that you're helping and you can be rewarded. By a piece
0: of the action absolutely, and that's that's I mean, stuff that we've you know we've thought about ourselves because you know, like Jen, Jen will say this to me like, I'm always, always working, always thinking, <laughs> always like I when I was 18, 17, 18, I heard of this uh Japanese word, uh, reading a book about Tiger Woods, and it's called kaizen. And it's represented by two kanji symbols. And it's kind of been my philosophy in life. It's continuous, ongoing improvement in all aspects of your life. I always want to be a better dad, a better husband, a better business owner, an entrepreneur, community member, et cetera. Like I just, I think sometimes it frustrates Jen because I'm never satisfied. Like I'm never, you know, okay. It's Mm -hmm. like always challenged. Always, I thrive in the chaos too. And if I don't have like five things going on at any given time, like I'm not happy. Like I just, I just can't. It's hard, right?
2: (laughs) I thrive. On the beach, in the ocean. <laughs> we just thrive differently. Yeah, and and, you,
1: it, and here's the key, Jen. The, the, I think the key is understanding that what somebody else's zen is mm-hmm. may not be what our own zen is. Like, sure. I love the ocean. Mm-hmm. I love the ocean. But if you told me I had to go sit on a beach all day, I would <laughs> I'd rather just, like, go jump off a cliff. Like, I'm not a go sit by the pool and read. Like, that's not my version of relaxing. My version of relaxing is studying stock and options charts. Wow. (laughs) Right? So, Sean, I totally understand what you're saying and being able to recognize in each other where your Zen moment is. Like, uh, you know, my in-laws are just like, you work too much. Well, (laughs) that's your definition. And for me, work and fun and family and friends are all simultaneously. Our tagline is from vision to profit, having it all. So I can get more accomplished at a dinner table in a couple of texts, it it doesn't require me to go punch a clock from nine to five, which if you force me to go punch a clock from nine to five, you're going to put me in a coffin because it would be horrible. (laughs) Yes. But if that satisfies somebody else's, you work too much, it's like, well, okay. So now you just want me to play your game and now you're going to base whether I'm working too much on your criteria Mm -hmm.
0: The reality of it is is the people that say that to you, that's often their own justification for being mediocre mm-hmm. it's it's a lot easier to say something like that to somebody that's ambitious and have it have it be something that, justifies in your own mind, your lack of ambition or lack of hard work or whatever. When I've encountered that, you know, I often look at whoever's saying that to me and go, okay, well, we're all born different. We all have different talents. We all have Mm -hmm. different ambition. We all have different drive. And so, you know, you can't, I I do think sometimes people will say stuff like that just to make themselves feel better about the fact that they're not doing that than it is a real comment to you.
1: Absolutely. You know why? Because they're still trying to chase average. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. wallowing and in mediocrity.
1: In we're not yeah, we're not I, chasing you know, average. A... No, exactly. <laughs> it, it, and I think that's really, you know, when we talk about hope and resilience and comeback stories and and all of that, I think where people get stuck is if they don't have enough stuff going on. If they don't have enough stuff going on and something goes down, it's hard to get restarted. Yeah, and if I go back to that day sitting in my my condo here with all the blinds closed, that I had to call my mom. I didn't have anything to get up and dust your dust your pants off or boots <laughs> off or whatever the phrase is. I didn't have anything to, to do. Like, yeah, you didn't I, you didn't I, have I another side hustle. Last, yeah, and it, not even so much as a side hustle. I had everything invested in that business, so I didn't even have. It wasn't even like I had some money that I could go start
0: another little business so I think that's a really important point, and I don't want to miss that how did you rise out of that circumstance because I think that there's gonna be a lot of people that listen that may be faced with kind of financial carnage and ruin having because to call their mom yeah having to call their mom or yeah. whatever Help. and so how, how did you rise out of that catastrophe
1: so the first thing I did was a mental check of myself. And essentially what I did, and this was probably the hardest, if I look back, and oh, I'm so glad you guys asked, I never talk about this stuff, but <laughs> when I look back at it, kind of sitting on the floor crying, going, I don't know what to do. The one thing that I said to myself was, I'm not a, fa- now this is me. So this is purely an opinion. This is no judgment on anybody else. So mm-hmm. please don't read it that way. It's only for me to read it this way. At that point, I had still been able to tell myself that I was an entrepreneur. Where I felt at the moment that I would fail is if I had to go get a job. And partly that was because I didn't have any skill set that I thought somebody would hire me for. Now, I might have been a little naive in that. But in my own head, I was unhirable, but I wasn't a true failure until I had to go get a job. So that set me on a road of going, okay, if I'm not going to go get a job, I better find something that I can still serve some customers, get back to being around people, start to build a network of people, start to build a community, and really kind of look for and sniff out what the next opportunity would be. That was at a time where I mean, I was I was looking at all of these stuff, postcards from home, sewing Christmas ornaments from home. I looked at every every affiliate marketing thing, like I just was like, I don't even know what's out there. And so I took a little bit of time and I just kind of started poking around and seeing, you know, what's out here. Could I partner with people? Right. So one of the things that I think I'm pretty good at is uncovering hidden value in businesses. Mm -hmm. So I was trying to look for businesses that were owned by friends of mine where I could go and say, hey, Sean, I would love to come in and see if there was some way I could add value to salt and stone.
2: Like Marcus Lamonis. Right? Yes.
0: yes, like Marcus Lemonis. <laughs> yeah. well, it's,
1: it's it's really funny. Marcus and I have very, very similar philosophy. In fact, we're actually speaking at an event together in December. Yeah, it, it's very similar to that. Yeah. That was my that was kind of my deal. It's like, okay, well, I don't really know what to do. I don't really have any money to invest in a business, but what I can do is maybe I can partner with some people that are already in business and maybe they'll just give me a piece of the action for any money that I save them or maybe they'll give me a piece of the action of any money I make them. So I literally sat down and I took out a pen and a piece of paper and I wrote out every influential person that I have ever met, ever tried to meet, anybody that I thought could kind of put me in a new direction. And I also made the decision that moment that I was never going to make decisions that revolved around business by myself ever again. And so I started by going to people that I thought were smarter than me, that had more influence in me, and I asked them if they would be part of my board of advisors. Mm -hmm. And they were like, I don't even know what that means. And I said, well, I don't really either. It just (laughs) means that I've just lost everything. Uh, You're somebody that I think is super smart, And before I make decisions based on the dumb decision making in the clothing business, I'd love to have somebody just to bounce ideas off where I think they're smarter than me. I want to be the dumbest one in the room. And what was interesting about doing that is you talk about being a narcissist. When you start going to people and basically having to hand your failure in front of somebody who you've looked up to or you think is smarter than you and going, look, I'm a dumb, you know, I'm dumb dumb (laughs) and I need some help. Would you be somebody that would give me advice? What was really interesting, Sean, is at that moment, it started to turn.
0: Yeah.
1: And the reason it started to turn, I think, is because those folks that I originally asked to kind of be my board of advisors, well, I was playing to their ego. I was playing to their narcissism on a little bit on some level, and I wanted access to them. Yeah. So I thought, what great way to start building access with people was to go to them and say, hey, I want to make this investment, or I want to make this play, or I have this idea. What do you think? And you start letting people give you ideas and opinions. And a magical thing started to happen out of that was my advisory board. And it was very loose. Like, don't think this is some big fancy thing. This is like, I've got four friends on a piece of paper that I'm calling. Basically, half the time I'm making stuff up just to have a conversation with them, right? But what I found was that if I did that and I stayed in their space long enough, number one, they were starting to bring me in on deals they were starting to ask me what I thought about deals that they were investing in.
0: Or the alternative so was they s- they thought, Oh my gosh, that's a great idea. How can I partner with you on that?
1: Absolutely. And so, so, I mean, even now, right, even now in any business that I'm going to look at putting some money in or being a participant in or consulting with, I have my board of advisors that I'm going to go to and I'm going to have them run through it. You know, I've lost, I've lost a ton of money in bad investments, you know, and I just, Uh, I have a friend of mine who's a high powered CPA here in LA. And he, you know, it's sometimes it's just things you gather from these advisors that come out of a lunch. Like we were talking one day at lunch and he said, he says, why don't you have your own underwriting criteria in the businesses that you invest in or the things that you do? And I went, oh my gosh, I've never done that. I get seduced by, Oh, my gosh, we're going to have a we're going to have a candy bar in a 7-Eleven. I'm in. I don't care what I don't, you know, uh, um, a slick presentation, a good
0: speaker, you know, a moderate idea. Next thing you know, hey, this sounds awesome. But yet it doesn't check all the boxes. I, I get what you're saying. It
1: doesn't check all the boxes. And now I'm super, super honored that I get asked to speak at a lot of events. And for a long time, I was just going because I'm like, oh, somebody wants me to come speak because that's awesome. Oh, I'm going to look so good and I get to be on stage and I get the, <laughs> the lights and the makeup and the hair and the, the video and this is all awesome and this is all glamorous. And at the end of the day, I went, wow, that was awesome. I just spent $2,500 out of pocket to make somebody look really awesome. <laughs> and so it, sometimes it just takes a little a bit of a step back to say, yeah. okay, maybe before you say yes to a speaking event maybe you should make sure that the audience is a potential audience that you can do something with. Maybe the promoter needs to not have a bad history of being a fraud. Maybe the upside of the event should be that I generate leads out of it. Or, I mean, there's just a variety of different things that you go to. And I mean, even now, like for me, this, this, this whole stay at home thing has been awesome because it's quite frankly, taken me having to say no to people out of the equation because there's not a whole lot of speaking
0: events to say yes to. <laughs> very true. No, nor anytime soon, you know. I think is yeah. the challenge. So let me ask you a different question as as we, um, you know, wrap up the show. I, I want to ask you a question about COVID about right now. You know, I just like I marvel at your mind. I think that you and I are very simpatico. Like you're, I can just see that your mind's moving and my mind's moving as you're talking. I I, I love that. But I guess the question I would ask is you know, right now for somebody that's listening, that's at home, that their world is kind of come crashing down around them, most likely financially, you know, because obviously if it's, if it's health related or uh, due to COVID or whatever, there's not a lot that we can do about that. But let's say it's financial and somebody's really kind of at their bottom, you know, calling their mom saying, listen, I, I just think that we might lose everything. Like what would your advice be to them right now? How, how do we, pour into somebody that's listening that feels like their whole world has come to an end financially right now?
1: Yeah, awesome. So that's a, it's a great question. And I had a sneaky suspicion you were going to ask me this question or some version <laughs> of it. So here's what I would do. and And I'm going to say that if somebody has an entrepreneurial spirit or an entrepreneurial bone in their body, or maybe they're an employee that has has just hit their limit and just said, you know what, enough is enough. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, or my job's not going to be in existence in three months. What do I do? I would actually do a couple of things. Number one is I would go start pouring into my own mindset. So I would find some people who I relate to. I would listen to a ton of podcasts, read books. I'm not a book reader. I, I love listening to podcasts. So I would go listen to your podcast, Bigger Pocket, you know, some of these other maybe podcasts that are in a space of something that I'm interested in. That's number one. Number two, I would pull out a piece of paper and I'd find out who is the most influential three or four people that you're friends with or that you know, and I'd reach out and I would just say, hey, I want to be a taken along for the ride. And essentially, you're finding a mentor. And then from the financial side, I've just not found – something where somebody could start with a tiny little bit of money and grow it into a potentially extremely high income than a network market or a home-based business opportunity. Now, there's good ones and there's bad ones, and they all have flaws. But when you can have somebody else put together product, put together the credit card processing, put together a website, put together sales training, put together a refund uh, ability to take care of customers, take care of a customer service department, pay the rent on all that stuff. And all you're essentially doing is promoting somebody else's product. And if somebody buys it, you get paid. To me, that is a low entry point into an upside potential.
0: Low risk, high reward.
1: Low risk, high reward, right? And I would go hit it hard because you're at the bottom anyways. So if you're pretty much at your bottom, then the only real way is something like a home-based business or I, or I would try to find uh, some kind of you know, real estate offer, some unique opportunities for somebody that doesn't have any money to partner with someone like you guys and say, hey, look, if I find a house and it meets all your criteria, let me go out and see if I can do some of that research and take some of these houses. Let me go match those criteria. If I find one that hits your the two of yours top, 15 criteria would you be open to partnering mm-hmm.
0: with me on that yeah it's, but see the problem right? with that or, is or so yeah so few people see the opportunity to add value like that you know i totally agree with you and that's kind of my mindset but i it's tough to teach that to somebody like you you have to see it you have to you have to be willing to take action on it you know that that whole point of recognizing value coming at it from a different perspective being personal being sending out a card in advance or you, you know just taking that extra step to to make me aware that you're different and that you do want something for me and in that process maybe i can provide something to you i think that's the point you're trying to make and it, it's so rare
1: well absolutely and just building on that the other thing i've never really understood and I admit I've had 45 years of having this drilled in as a core value. I don't know anything else. But this idea that we have that we're only going to give something to someone if we get something in return is a really dangerous road to be on from a philosophical standpoint, in my opinion. Yeah, Yeah, I agree. It is in my it's just to me, I've just always figured out It's like, again, how do I add value? How do I I mean, let me back this up. So let's say if I meet somebody brand new, the way I view the world is I meet you brand new at a party or at a barbecue or at the mall or whatever. The way I look at it is there's a giant block of ice between us. No business is going to happen until that ice is completely gone. You're either going to have to warm up from your side. I'm going to have to warm up from my side, or we're just going to have ice between us the whole time. I'm not going to sit around and wait for somebody to try to melt the ice. I'm going to take it, take it on myself and try to melt the ice myself. And you know, I do a lot of referral generation. I I generate tons of referrals because I just have a large network. Those that network of people, and I know we mentioned this earlier before we got on this call. You said, "Oh, I I was talking about. We were talking about hard money lenders. I happen to have a friend of mine that's a hard money lender. I immediately wrote on my notes to do an introduction to you guys. I don't come from a place where I'm going, oh. I should get paid a $1,000 finder's fee or, oh, if they do this, I'm not looking at it from what do I get out of it. But what inevitably happens is let's say you guys go off and you form a great relationship and you do 50 flips together, 50, 100 flips together, right? Well, is it possible that when I come to you and say, hey, Sean, I have something really cool that I think will help you in your real estate business that runs 50 bucks, you're going to say yes to me? whether or not you even know what the product is (laughs) because I've added way more value before I've ever asked for anything.
0: This is going back you know, to your grandfather's lesson. This is this is still Absolutely. this is another example of yep. that grand the sale had already been made, but to wrap it and to put it into that can and to put it in the back seat yep. and open up the door for the lady and and to put a seatbelt on it, like the, the the sale had already been made, but you're talking about the extra. And you're so right. I the more value you add, the more you pour into, and it's it's also I I, I just think it's a it's a law of attraction. Like if you're out there hustling totally. and 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 adding value to people, there's no question that that value is going to come back to you.
1: I have this philosophy, and I I don't know if it's statistically accurate. I, I just I've just pretended it is. so I maybe if I just say it over <laughs> and over again, it will be true. <laughs> and that is that you get back what you send out tenfold.
2: Yes, we yes. say that.
0: Yes, we so say that we, too. Shonda, you know,
1: yeah, yeah. So you know, it's like I go on Facebook, and I people write negative, and I'm just like. Okay, awesome. So you're putting that out. Now you're attracting 10 times that, which means that now that the 10 times that you're going to keep re- putting that back out into the world and you just created this vicious cycle. So I'm always on, I always try to err on the side of living completely, authentically, genuinely present. Yes. So I try, it doesn't always work, but I try so hard not to live with what's happened in the past. And I actually try not to live too far out in the future. I try to stay completely present. You know, we did, I did an ex, I was in an event that, right before we got this whole stay at home thing out in Orlando, and the CEO was asking us to do this exercise. He said, I want you to go back and I want you to think about a time where you were really sad and really mad and like had all these things. And I sat there with a blank piece of paper, like, this is going to take way more time than I have because <laughs> uh-huh. I just have trained myself to not even I'm sure buried back in my skull somewhere. I mean, obviously I'm getting myself worked up over the sweatshop
0: again this morning, but you don't wallow in self pity um, is, is the point. Like you just don't lament your problems. You just don't stay stuck. It's just not a, there's no production to it. There's no value to it.
1: No, I used to joke that in the spelling bee, it was was victim. V O U L E N T E E R. Victim. (laughs) right? Yeah. And you, you almost have to be a volunteer to be in your own victimhood. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that 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 doesn't mean that circumstances can come about and push you down. I mean, look, you get hit with a mega health challenge, or maybe you didn't get COVID, or your, your check runs out, or you're, you don't have investments, or you run through your IRA. I get all of that, right? But I think the other thing, too, is like, okay, if we can't change that, like, those are circumstances that are not up to us to change anymore. Like they're just not right. I used to go to go to the grocery store every day. I loved it. It was my therapy. Well, my new habit is having groceries brought to my house. I'm never going to a grocery store again. <laughs> new habits are being created right now. You know, out of 2008, 2009, the massive financial crisis. What came out of that? Uber, mm-hmm. Lyft, yeah. Airbnb. We would not have those things that are are such a daily part of our lives right now if that crisis hadn't happened. This crisis is going to be no different. We're going to come out of this with, you know, we're going to lose some businesses, no question. We're going to have millions of people out of work, no question. We're going to have devastating health consequences, like no kidding. But at the end of that, the entrepreneur, the person that that sits down and goes, "I've got to figure out how to solve a problem," I have to figure out how to add more value to that customer for solving their problem. The marketplace will reward me handsomely, so long as. I create an experience that the customer will send me a thank you note at the end.
0: Yeah. You know, it's so, it's so funny that you mentioned and, and, that because the reality, I've thought about that myself and I, I thought about our, our uh, flipping business. And, I, and I, I just have this gut instinct that COVID is going to make people that live in highly dense populations, for example, the Bay Area, which we're close to, I think it's going to make them rethink living there. And I, and I said to my, my realtor and my contractor, I said, I think that there's going to be a shift. I think that we're going to see some people want to get out of the bay. I think that they're going to want to get into more rural properties. And I really think that there could be an opportunity for us to do like a farm- style, ground up, you know, imagine having a garden, imagine having a house, a little property, maybe Mm -hmm. having a chicken coop, maybe something like that. You know, like I do think that this is going to make people rethink sustainability. I think it's going to make them rethink, you know, densely populated areas. It's certainly going to be people that aren't going to want to do this again in some of those areas. And so, you know, it's like recognizing that opportunity. The problem is, you know, traditional bigger banks, you know, they don't like rural properties when it comes to flips. They don't like this. They don't like that. You know, so it's like, you know, that it's seeing the opportunity, but trying to figure out a way to solve the problem. And I, and I do think that I, I said to Jen, I said, live salt and stone farms. How how about doing a farm property? How about yep. doing, you know, having like a little barn yep. having about like mm-hmm. this and mm-hmm. garden, you know, and doing something like prepackaged, Hey, come from the Bay, yeah. we'll sell you a farm, you know, and that way, if this happens again, Absolutely. you get your own property a
1: little bit. And and give them a little bit of comfort if something like this goes goes down again. Yeah. And, and this is this is this is crazy. It's so crazy to me that you're saying this because I am your customer. <laughs> I live in a densely populated neighborhood in Los Angeles. I don't live in the best neighborhood. I don't live in a crappy neighborhood. I live in a condo. Um, there are ten units in this condo. And a couple of weeks ago our power went out in the whole neighborhood. I didn't panic about COVID because I'm pretty prepped. That you start taking away power and all of a sudden the whole game changes and becomes a whole lot more real. I, I literally have said when, when I come out of this, I want out. Yeah. Like now I'm not ready to go to a farm because the only thing I know less than sports is farming.
0: (laughs) Yeah. What do I do with the pig? What do I do with the chicken? Like I don't, I, I, Jen wants an alpaca. Like she, That's like her, her her, having
2: chickens and alpacas. That's it. I can run with alpacas because they run and they'll chase you. It'll be so cute. I can't wait. It's going to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: As a son of a veterinarian, I applaud you because you will put that veterinarian's son through college. He is pre thanking you ahead of time. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 Sean, to your point, I think, I think offering, offering a customer the ability to, give themselves a little bit more control over their own environment where they can grow a little garden and grow some vegetables if they get stuck. Mm -hmm. If they have a little solar panel where they got, they have power and they're not going to lose their internet and they've got a place to compost. And they, I mean, I think that's awesome. I mean, I've said, I said, just, I mean, if somebody were to ask me, you know, one of the things that scares the absolute crap out of me from a Los Angeles standpoint is, you know, we've got all these high rise skyscrapers that are closed down right now, downtown Los Angeles. And all these businesses would never let their people work from home. Well, now that we're forced to work from home, imagine how many of those people are gonna sit up now go, Okay, I've gotta go back to paying fifty, sixty thousand dollars for a floor of the US bank building. If I just get sixty percent of efficiency out of my work at home staff, because I'm gonna lose some of the efficiency, I can still save money and add another twenty, thirty, forty percent of the workforce, work them from home and get rid of this fifty thousand dollar floor on the skyscraper. I think we are going to have a commercial real estate glut, the likes of which nobody's paying attention to.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I've actually thought the same thing. I just felt like this whole pandemic was going to shift how people work moving forward and what people because it's made people have to have to deal with it mm-hmm. and then the reality of it is is once they deal yep. with it and go okay this is this isn't so bad like to your point about the efficiency i'm sure there's businesses out there going yeah this is a less efficient way to do it but when you contrast that with you know the millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of money we spend every month on on leases in commercial office buildings mm-hmm. or whatever then yeah LA traffic yeah exactly <laughs> well yep. even even the <laughs> most I obvious
1: think, I think, yeah. I, well, taking it a half step further, I also think of the other side. All of the moms that are now getting the opportunity to spend time watching their kids grow up, the dads that yeah. are getting time to spend their with their time. Mm-hmm. I I will I I will predict. I don't. I have no basis. Uh, I'm only slightly in the real estate game, not anywhere close to big time at all. But I would venture to say that going forward. Houses, condos, apartments—the the residential living lifestyle is going to be adjusted to make sure that there are more work at home type features in new properties. Yeah, whether it's built in high thought, high Wi-Fi or built in um, nooks where you can do two two separate computer stations or. Um, you know, a turnkey thing that a millennial can shut the door and walk away from, and they don't have to think about it.
0: I was just going to say, it's so funny that you mentioned that because you know we have three big projects coming up, and uh, this this was all even before COVID, and and I kept advocating for working with our uh, engineer and architects, I said, I want I want an office nook. I want something because these are these are bigger houses. But I said, I want a dedicated office nook, either behind the pantry or off the kitchen or off somewhere, two to workstations, et cetera. And we advocate for, for large pantries. Our houses are, are usually big pantries, walk-in pantries type uh, houses. And so <laughs> I, I thought, well, wow, you know, we did right by that. This was pre-COVID that we were doing some of this engineering. I said, coming out of this, I think the idea that, you know, storage, food storage, having a bigger pantry, having a workstation, having some places that you can go that isn't your bedroom or that's not out in the middle of everything. so I, I, I agree with you. I think you're spot on on that.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, a kid a kid schooling area. You're gonna have a lot of kids that aren't going back to school in the fall. Mm-hmm. And even and even and even moving forward. I mean I, I think this is gonna be even bigger to the point where it's gonna call at least call into question and have a conversation about is what is the best way that we can educate our kids. You know, colleges are, are, are switching it up now. I mean, it's, this is a, I, I just think this is a big shift in, and it just is kind of moving the shift around a little bit. But if people, if people will take advantage of what they have already, sit down and spend a little time and go, okay. Um, what, what are my options? What are the options? And if I have no options, then I'm going to at least go do a little bit of research and get myself in front of the likes of, you know, the two of you, uh, real estate people, mentors in that, in whatever space that the, the person was in before. You know, I know it sounds, I know this sounds totally dorky, but grab a journal, a three ring binder, or a three ring notebook and just vomit up your thoughts. At 10 minutes a day or 15 minutes a day. If you vomit them up, some of it is just cathartic getting it out. Some of it's a diary, and some of you will create books and stories later on. Um, but I think also you, we have to start keeping those juices flowing because right now, um, you know, and you in the Bay Area, we're the same down here, is it, like we're in full lockdown. Like the idea that you can in North Dakota, like go get a haircut is so foreign to me at this point. I'm wearing my morning sweats. As soon as we're done, I'm going to change into my afternoon sweats. And then later I'm going to change into my dinner sweats.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, jeans. What, what, why, do, why, why would you wear jeans? Um,
2: because they're cuter. I think
1: it's, and I, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, for you to walk, for you to just walk in, you know, walk around the house and
2: sure. Yeah, they make you feel better though. We're we're both wearing, we're both wearing our jeans.
0: <laughs> see, see, the reality of it is, is though we've got a business property, and so we get to leave the house to come to our podcast studio. We call it the Radio Shack at my uh, business property. I built a uh, twelve by twenty. You know, podcast studio. So we we have a reason to get outside the house and you know come to come to our office and then go back home. But there's a few days where you know the, the sweats were rolling all morning, m- morning to night. You know, I, t- I totally get you. <laughs>
1: and and I would say that I would say Jen. On that note, that's probably a good metaphor for a lot of people Mm -hmm. i think a lot of people are spending these days just in their sweats and they're not willing to put on their jeans oh yeah and that's where we that's where we have a real challenge yeah is how do we how do we get people out of their sweats and into their jeans just metaphorically speaking and looking about how can they go into the marketplace and add value and if you if we will always start to look at how do we add value to somebody else the law of reciprocity at some point kicks in. And if it doesn't, then you've had bad karma and you should have started this year ago.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is this is yeah. awesome. You you are my brother from another mother. Let me just let me just say. Uh, I, I I love it. I love what you're saying. I mean, I, I literally, you and I could, uh, sit in and, uh, have lunch or have dinner and, and talk until the wee hours of the morning. I can tell you that much right now.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, well, I, I, I don't rule that out of happening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> nor do I, nor do I, you know, this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Casey, for, um, your time, your energy, your wit, your wisdom, your stories.
1: Well, on, on that note, I will say this, that my favorite quote of all time is opportunities multiply as they are seized.
0: Yeah. Oh, and I like that. Well, it, thank-
1: this has been an absolute honor. I, I just, you know, I just think what you guys are doing is so amazing. I love that you've included your family. I love that you've included your partners and that you've included the ability for you to pivot and change real quick and put on a podcast about hope and resilience yeah. and comeback stories in this time of need and I just I truly appreciate being given the opportunity to come on and share with you and your audience and and if there's anything that I can do to have any to help anybody out I'm happy to do that.
0: Well, thank you so much. I mean that's uh that's very kind and gracious of you. I really appreciate your time and really appreciate your words, man. You've uplifted us. You had Jen laughing unlike any other guest that we've been on. And so and like she's paid she paid attention the whole time. Like normally this is stuff that she don't pay attention to a lot. Yeah, and you know?
2: I, I have an hour limit too. So, you know, this, yeah, is, she, this is this is me too. This has gone over, so I'm she, like
0: she wasn't paying me to go, hey, it's time, you know, like she's she wasn't going, I gotta go pee, you know, she wasn't saying any of that stuff. Like she's usually
2: I'm banging my head on the desk and I'm like, oh my gosh! Can we hurry this up? Yeah. <laughs> I gotta go. It's feeding time. <laughs> that's usually what it is. Exactly.
0: <laughs> exactly. You do not want to interrupt Mama's feeding time. <laughs> Let me just tell you that right now. Like that's not a good. That's I don't. I don't advise that for anybody. Yeah.
2: So that was awesome. I I love talking with you. Um, I'm gonna start adding more value into everything I do. Yeah. Although I I think I do, but like. Yeah. When you're talking about adding value, like even in our homes, like we do go above and beyond and add value to these. Property. So, but we
0: could always do more.
2: We always can do more.
0: Yes. Yes. Like he, he, I think you've inspired us to reflect on all that we're doing and Mm -hmm. figure out a way to do it with more value add. Everything from the podcast to what we're doing with Live, Salt, and Stone to, you know, I loved your comments about MLM marketing. This is how you grind. This is, (laughs) this is hustling. You know, this is, this is seeing an opportunity, seizing it and, and capitalizing on it and sending out those dollars to go attract friends and bring them all back
1: yeah. <laughs> absolutely well you guys it's been it's been an honor
0: all right jen what did you think of our first ever two-part interview with casey eberhardt a lot of information there to unpack right
2: tons of information it it made me laugh a lot
0: he is hilarious i mean mm-hmm. his stories his outside the box thinking <laughs> his hustle his side hustle i swear he should create the casey <laughs> Eberhart casey Eberhart side hustle academy
2: yes and we have four boys to send
0: we need to enroll them in that side it's like hustle overnight academy.
2: right so we can just send them all
0: yeah ex- okay. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly like well now party. it's a zoom meeting you it's know a- we can't send them anywhere oh. now it's zoom and we're in a quarantine you know
2: okay so after quarantine it could yes. be, be a slumber party yes. at that amusement park
0: yes can't wait to meet this guy personally you know he's just a mover and a shaker he mm-hmm. just sit there and no excuses you pick yourself up you know the next phase yeah. is gonna come what's gonna happen next yeah. you know like onward like you don't wallow in either your success or your failure nope he's learned a lot of lessons kind of moving forward but it's just great stories
2: yeah I love how he really talks about adding value in whatever you're doing. And how, like, even, like, with our podcast, he wanted to know, like, how he could add value. Yeah. It's, like, it's, it's never about him. Yeah. I love that.
0: You know, he's like a, he's, he gives first. Mm-hmm. Yes. How can I help you? And I think that's a mantra for life, you yeah. know?
2: Yeah. I, we need more people like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. But, uh, well, if you enjoyed that interview, we've got a lot more coming down the pipeline. So you can join us. You can subscribe or like on Stitcher, Google, Spotify. Google Google, Spotify, <laughs> Google Play or Spotify, yeah. iHeartRadio,
2: mm-hmm. iTunes, SoundCloud. SoundCloud, SoundCloud.
0: So you can find us on all the digital platforms. You can subscribe to the podcast and get updates as to when new shows are posted. And where do they find us on social media?
2: Social media is Hope Radio Podcast on Facebook and Hope Radio Podcast on Instagram.
0: So you can go check us out there and give us a like or a follow on those platforms. Hey,
2: how about they do both? Let's do both. Yeah. A like and a Let's follow Let's add on value. Both. Add value.
0: That's that's going to be my new message. And
2: when you're listening to this podcast, hit that subscribe button.
0: Yes. Add value. I like that. I like where you're going. Like yeah. you already learned the lesson. I'm the going Casey places. Everhart, Stick yes. with me, kid. <laughs> I think I'm stuck. <laughs>
2: You are stuck.
0: I think I've been stuck for 26 years, but I am going to say it's 20, almost 26 years. I
2: know. This month. I know. We're winning.
0: We are winning.
2: (laughs) Winners.
0: Winner, winner, chicken dinner. All right. So uh, you ready for my thought of the day?
2: Chicken dinner? What? That sounds good.
0: Jennifer, (laughs) you get distracted by food all the time. I swear. Are you ready for my hope thought of the day?
2: Yes, I'm always ready for a little bit of hope.
0: Here we go. Okay. Here it is. You'll like this. Every big thing starts from very small things. Like every happy life starts from simple, happy thoughts.
2: Oh, that is so true. That was a good one, huh? It was really good. Too
0: bad it wasn't a joke. Then I would have won.
2: Yeah. You win the hope quote. (laughs) (laughs) You win.
0: All right. So, um, I have an incredible interview planned for Monday. Okay. So we're going to interview Yvette White who tragically lost her son he was murdered Mm -hmm. and we're going to talk with her about how you find peace and happiness post a traumatic event like that so it should be quite an interview so you got to prepare yourself and this is actually going to be the day after mother's day so
2: okay you ready i got this should we do this yes let's do it we're gonna
0: do it again okay okay